Again, I want you all to note that you, uh, you clapped at the announcements. <laughs> Good job, Steve. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I do want to hit uh, uh, two things. One, this prayer retreat, I would ask you all to consider this. One, it's only 24 hours. It's about 30 minutes from here at the Mount Olivet Retreat Center. Uh, one of my friends who's a spiritual director is going to be leading us in that. And this is going to be a great opportunity for you to simply grow in your prayer life. You'll have a lot of opportunities to uh, dive deeper in ways that perhaps you haven't dived deeper before. It's not going to be scary. I know him. I trust him. And uh, this, this is a great opportunity. You can register for that online. Also, uh, just I'm going to beat the bully pulpit just a little bit in that we could use 10 more volunteers in ch- children's ministry uh, the rest of this school year. So if you're able to do that, just note that on your connection card and bring that to the uh, information table as you head down the hall. Why don't we pray, and then we'll head into our teaching time. Lord, we are grateful for your presence. We are grateful for the opportunity to simply be still. Be reminded we are loved, to be reminded that we have been welcomed by you to the embrace of Jesus. We pray, God, that our joy in you would increase. We pray that you would conform us more to the, the likeness of Jesus because we want to look more like you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, uh, my name is Brad Kendall. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to see you. So, we've been in this series about decision-making. This morning, you made a decision. You could have stayed home, but you made a decision. You made a choice to get into that cold car and drive all the, all the way here to Faith Covenant Church. Why in the world did you do so? Well, some of you made that decision because you would say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ one, Um, I'm seeking to follow Jesus, and I have a church home. I have a family that I gather together with on Sunday mornings and other times throughout the week, and one of the things my church family does is we gather together to grow in God's Word on Sunday morning, so you're here. Some of you made a decision to come because uh, you're curious about Christianity. Maybe you're not fully bought in, but you're curious, and you'd you'd like to investigate more about uh, Jesus, And, and that makes sense. Now, for all of us, though, what makes Jesus so compelling? Well, I would say His teachings are compelling, of course. Uh, We would say that his cross is more than compelling. It actually has kind of cosmic implications, the defeat of death, the defeat of Satan, the defeat of our sin. So there's that, of course, and and we are compelled by uh, the resurrection, uh, a promised resurrection not only for him, for those in Christ, for those uh, who've put their faith in him, but I would argue we are also compelled by the way he made decisions. Don't we all want to make decisions the way Jesus made decisions? Because we've seen that His decision-making seems to be right and true, and and it seems to be loving. And yes, of course, consequences, His decisions are consequential. But we're gathered because we want to make Jesus-like decisions. We've gone to great lengths over the past couple months uh, to talk about 
how Christians make decisions. And there's been a journey here, and if you're just visiting here today, uh, I want you to know, if you think of the past eight weeks kind of like an album, and if you don't know what an album is, you can Google it, um, (laughs) as like kind of the sixth cut uh, on an album, uh, then you, you might know that there, there's a bunch of songs that have come before that have, that have maybe influenced where this cut is actually going. This, today's message is born out of where we have been, and we're going kind of to wrap up this series called Decisions. We spent January in a series called The Word, and I, I needed to get us there so, because The Word actually helps us understand how we make Decisions. For example, in Christianity, we would say disciples of Jesus uh, believe that God's word, the Bible, is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the people of God, so that we're equipped for the, the works that God has planned out for us. But we've also said that. We know God has spoken to us through His written word, but we really have to interpret the written word through the living word, through the word made flesh. That's the way the word talks about Jesus. He is the word made flesh, the word uh, brought up on its feet. Uh, The scriptures say that in the past God spoke to us through prophets, etc., but now He's spoken to us through His His Son, uh, Jesus. And we know all this through the Word. So we would say that we are a people of the Word. And we've talked about how we are um, like, a, like a theater troupe almost, where we take written words and we bring them, we put them on their feet. We are a theater of the good news of Jesus Christ, staging scenes from the kingdom of God for a watching world, so that when people see us, they have a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do and what the gospel is. In the same way, if you, were, um, if, if you hated Shakespeare and you had never seen Shakespeare, but you went to go see the Royal Shakespeare Company, you might say, oh, that's why people think Shakespeare's really cool. The way we do life in ministry should shine a light, should glorify God. And we make decisions according to these things. And we've also talked about how within the Word, about the living Word, Jesus, we understand who we are. When you know who you are, you know what to do. Uh, we've, we've used over the past uh, three weeks, actually, um, 2 Corinthians Verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you hear them in a different way and have them, you repeat them back if you would. Um, this is uh, verse, verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Repeat that. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So the reconciler is Christ. Not counting people's sins against them not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Faith Covenant Church, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors of what? Ambassadors of Jesus. Ambassadors of His reconciliation. It's because we are ambassadors of Jesus that we, the church, are called then to a fundamental posture of embrace. 
We are disciples of Jesus. Jesus' fundamental posture is a posture of embrace. On the cross, arms spread wide, nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He is the reconciler. We are the ambassadors of that reconciliation. And last week and the week before that, we talked about how in this world, as we Christ ones are seeking to make Jesus' decisions, often there are two roads available to us. There's a road of of exclusion and there's a road of embrace. And I've talked about how we are called as a church, not just the Faith Covenant Church, but the church worldwide, is called to imitate Jesus in this posture of embrace. But in saying that, I've known that that is complicated. It's just practically complicated complicated to sustain a loving embrace in a broken world. And I talked last week about why, why it it gets complicated. And I'm going to bring Nick up. Where's Nick? There he is. Give Nick a big round of applause if you don't know. (laughs) Nick is our youth director. And so when I say I need someone to do something, he has to do it. (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, So last week we talked about how uh, there are certain ingredients that are necessary to to sustain a loving, healthy embrace. Okay? So Nick, give me a big hug. All right? Yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) All right, so what does it take to sustain a loving, healthy embrace? Embrace. You might break apart at time, but you want to be able to come together, okay? So to be able to sustain a loving, healthy embrace, Nick and I have to value each other, okay? Not, and, and it's interesting, the value of the relationship um, rises in the value, uh, in the intensity of the relationship. So let's say that Nick and I, are ju- we just play uh, church softball together. That's all we do together. Well, then the value's kind of low. And we might, you know, kind of give each other a hug on uh, a side hug or something like that. But it, it, it's not a very uh, value-intense relationship. But let's say Nick is my best friend and I'm his best friend. Well, then that, that value of the relationship even goes higher. So I value Nick. Nick values me. We value the relationship. Now, within that relationship, to sustain embrace, Nick and I have to tell the truth to each other, okay? We have to confess to each other, and sometimes that confession will be like, hey, Nick, love you, man, okay? Uh, But let's say yesterday, I said something that hurt Nick's feelings. For, for our relationship to continue and to be healthy, I would have to confess the truth that I did something that hurt the relationship, okay? Confession in this sense is, is a gift. I, it, it would be right and proper and healthy for me to say, Nick, I know you love me and I love you, but I recognize yesterday I said something that hurt your feelings and I want, I want to speak truth to that and knowing that you want to hear that truth. You want to, you want to know that I know that I did something that hurt the relationship. Because if I don't deal with that, then you might be afraid that I'm just going to continue to do that over and over again. Okay? And so there has to be truth-telling in the relationship. There also has to be repentance. And what I've done here is, in the truth-telling, I'm saying, I've said, you know what, I turn away from this, this thing that... that, that um, uh, compelled me to say something against Nick. I turn away from, I repent from that, and I speak truth. And 
Uh, and Nick then receiving that truth in grace, giving me unmerited favor, and my receiving of the grace He gives me allows us to come together and embrace again. Okay? So we have to value each other. We have to value the relationship. We have to tell the truth to each other. In times when we struggle, when we're imperfect, it's important that we repent from that and then we turn back to each other and embrace each other in grace. Okay? You do that, you can sustain a loving, healthy relationship forever. Okay? Remember, God's love always provides new possibilities. Now, how do we destroy this loving embrace? I can do it really easy, okay? Sorry, Nick. But let's say, Nick, I know you value me, but uh, I don't value you. And uh, just so you know, Nick, uh, I don't really value this relationship at all. It's, it just takes too much time. You're not that important to me. And uh, let's say, and Nick, just so you know, I've, I've been lying to you for the past month about, uh, you know, why I wouldn't meet you for lunch. And... Uh, I know you're, you're a good, kind person. You, you're going to give grace to me. You forgive me and all that. But um, I don't need your grace. And uh, I'm going this way, away from you. Now, tell me, even though Nick, Nick, open your arms wide for me. He's a good, kind person. He loves me. He's going to forgive me. If I live in all those things I just talked about, how is this embrace actually going to happen? Is it sustainable at all? It's not. There are times. Yeah, see, see, an embrace is like the tango. It takes two people committed to the dance to, for the dance to actually happen. If we don't commit to the dance, the dance falls apart. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, thank you, Nick. You may be seated. Give him a big round of applause. So just so you know, all, the, all that is just review, okay? It, sometimes it's helpful to kind of see that there's been a journey we've, we've been on here. Um, and last week, we explored these principles in light of the Apostle Paul's uh, letters and teaching counsel to a church in Corinth. In your Bibles, there, there are two books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Those are actually, uh, they weren't just books originally, they were, they're letters, letters from a man named Paul, who's an apostle, sent by God to a local church community in a place called Corinth. And um, I think many of us were shocked, as we talked about embrace, how boldly Paul, the apostle, uh, called the Corinthian Christians to deal with an issue in their church. So if you would, grab a Bible and turn to page 982 and put your finger there. Actually, we're going to read it in a second. Page 982, this is 1 Corinthians 5. If you're looking on your phone or another Bible you brought, 1 Corinthians 5. And what I want to do is I want to give a little more of the context because we're going to dive a little deeper into this chapter in ways that we didn't get a chance to last week. So let me just read the first two verses there. Listen to, listen to the, the strong language that Paul uses. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Wow, well, those are very strong words. Put out of your fellowship. 
Now keep in mind, just eight chapters later, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is going to pen some of the most profound words about love ever written. You probably had those words at a lot of your weddings or your friends' weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, he's going to write, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it keeps no record of wrong. But before Paul writes the love chapter, Paul calls the Christians in Corinth to put out of their fellowship this guy who is sleeping with a stepmom. He even goes on to say, look at verse 5, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Hand this man over to the enemy of God. Hand this man over to the one who is against God. Hand this man over to the accuser. Okay? That's a Satan, who Satan is. He is the accuser. See, Lord, this person has, is in sin. Hand this man over to him so that he has to deal with the logical consequences of his behavior. Maybe by moving from the realm of the kingdom of God, the realm of grace, and outside of that and trying to do life on his own, maybe that will compel him to see that he's out of bounds. And then verse 13, he says, expel the wicked person from among you, which is a a quote from Deuteronomy. Now, some of you, some of us, have really struggled with this text this week because Paul's words don't sound very Christ-like, right? They don't sound very embrace-like. So I wanted to spend more time today in this passage because there's more to plumb here. Why in this snapshot of ministry does Paul call the community of embrace to exclude. Let's start here. It's because he knows sin is like yeast. It affects the whole dough. Now, what does yeast do? Well, we don't make bread much anymore. We buy bread already made, you know. But in Paul's day, uh, every household made bread. And when they made uh, leavened bread, they put a small batch of something called yeast into the dough, and that small thing affected everything, and the whole thing rose. Okay, so Paul says, he says, yeast, verses 6 and 7, this is from the message uh, translation, yeast too is a small thing, but it works its way through a whole batch of bread dough pretty fast, so get rid of this yeast. Our true identity is flat and plain, not puffed up with the wrong kind of ingredient. And what he's doing there is he's just contrasting two two types of bread, flat bread, unleavened bread, and bread with yeast in it. And he's saying, we we don't want this yeast in it because it's going to affect everything. Paul likens this man's sexual decisions and the church's decisions to accept those decisions to yeast. He's arguing the sin, it's going to affect the whole body. It's going to affect the whole dough. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I'm guessing most of us would agree that having an affair with your stepmom is not an acceptable decision. That's out of bounds. Uh, I don't think most of us would say that is inbounds, and I think we would all agree then that the underlying principle Paul's getting at is the church must guard against that which might destroy embrace, meaning the church should protect itself from that which gets in the way of loving, healthy embrace. 
Where I think we struggle, though, with this passage is Paul's prescription to expel the wicked person from among you. That act of exclusion seems not much like Jesus. Perhaps it would be helpful to take this out of context, though. Okay? We all agree, I think, for the most part, I'm going to go out on a limb again, I think we all agree that the person sleeping with a stepmom is out of balance. Let, let's take this and put it a different way, though. Okay? Um, what if it was uh, the small uh, gesture of a person who is a member of the clergy having an inappropriate relationship with a minor? Okay, well, we would say that's out of bounds too, right? That's, that's clearly out of bounds, right? It's, it's also illegal. <laughs> would it be appropriate to put out of the fellowship someone who's doing that? I think, I think we would say so, yeah. And I think we can see, just by opening a newspaper or looking at the news, that turning a blind eye to that over a period of time has been like yeast and dough, and it has affected the whole church. It has affected the Catholic Church, it has affected the Southern Baptist Church, but it's all one church. So we're all affected by turning a blind eye to maybe what someone said. It was just a little thing. It's, it's not, that, that, not, not that important. Okay, so, uh, Pastor, that's an extreme example, though. I'm not struggling with that. Okay, uh, would, would you, what if it was a, not a clergy person like myself, what if it was just a church volunteer? Well, of course, no, that'd be out of bounds too, right? Absolutely. How about lying, though? Ah, okay. Um, everyone lies a little bit, don't we? I mean, no, no one here clearly bats a thousand when it comes to telling the truth. Would it be appropriate to kick a liar out of the church? Well, I think we would say, oh, in a community of brace, no, that would that'd be too much. Well, let, let me just play this out a little bit. Um, again, with the idea of guarding the church. Um, so let's say we have a youth um, volunteer in our youth ministry, and this person leads one of our small groups. And this person is a plumber, uh, but he's been telling the, uh, the young people in a small group, uh, I'm a doctor. Nick comes to me and says, hey, uh, Brad, can you uh, help me out with this? Uh, Bob has been telling the teens that he's a doctor, but he's actually a plumber. So let's say I, I pull Bob aside and say, Bob, thanks so much for helping out with the teens. I really appreciate that. I hear they really like you. Uh, one, one little problem, though, I've noticed, um, I've heard that uh, you're telling the teens that you're a doctor and you're, I, know, I know you're a plumber. What if Bob says, yeah, you know, I just want them to like me. I told them last night I was, I was an author, but I, I haven't written any books. Now, Okay, so you're a parent of a teenager in our church. Do you want this person leading your teen small, uh, small group? No, I don't think you do. I think it would be appropriate to say, hey, Bob, um, just an FYI, you can't be a youth leader in our, in our church right now because uh, clearly you're not seeing that, that lying is not right. And what if Bob says, okay, um, well, I'm going to... I won't be in the youth ministry anymore, but um, I'd like to be one of the deacons. 
And I hope you don't mind, Pastor, but it, I kind of like the idea of lying. I like, pe- I like telling people things that will impress them. So I can still be a deacon, right? Well, no, Bob. <laughs> you, you can't because it, it wouldn't be healthy for you or the other deacons or the other brothers and sisters in Christ if we just kind of give a wink and a nod to your lying, Right? And let's say this continued to play out. There would come a time, just so everyone knows, when I would say, hey, Bob, I'm sorry, you, you can't hang out here anymore because you're spreading lies everywhere. Pastor Brad, there's just little lies. No, 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 no. And we have to guard against yeast and the dough. This is, an, this, is, this is getting in the way of embrace here. Now, let's say Bob says, Pastor Brad, I want you to know I grew up in a family of liars, and I've always struggled telling the truth. In fact, I think it would be fair to say I'm a compulsive liar and I have a problem. Would you help me find help? Absolutely, Bob. We'll walk with you in that. And even though you might stumble and fall, we're going to walk with you because we want you to find healing in this. Of course, and Bob, you're, always, you're, you're welcome in that posture of repentance and truth-telling. But when you say, but when you say Pastor, I'm just going to continue to lie. Uh-uh, Bob. You got to go. Sorry. How about another one? Let me give you one more. Um, let's say um, stealing. Now, right away, everyone's like, yeah, we're not going to stand for stealing. Well, let's, let's, let's say it's just a little thing. Um, let's say three of our tellers. Now, our tellers are people, they're volunteers who count the offering every week, okay? And, um, and they do so together to hold each other accountable Let's say that three of them made a decision that every time they come together to count the offering, they're, going to, they're each going to steal $1. Do any of you work in an environment where that would be okay? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, those of you uh, who, who participate in the offering on a regular basis, are you okay with three of our tellers stealing three bucks <laughs> every time they count? No, 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 no. <laughs> So let's say I come to these three people and I say, hey, you know, just, just an FYI, I've heard you are uh, stealing from the offering. Pastor Brad, it's just, it's, it's, you know, over the past two months, it's been six bucks. You're not even going to miss it. Well, no, 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 sorry. Uh, you don't get to be a teller anymore. Oh, well, Pastor Brad, we're, um, we've heard that uh, you're now charging for coffee in the coffee shop. Could we work in the coffee shop now? <laughs> No, you can't. Uh, Pastor Brad, well, you're not kicking us out of the church. Well, it depends. I mean, do, do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand this is wrong? Pastor Brad, it's a little thing. It's just church. I hate that phrase, just so you know. Hate's a strong word, but I really don't like that phrase. It's just church. No, just church is the body of Christ, the very bride of Christ, the one for whom Christ died. The church is a big deal. Um. Now, if these tellers said to me, Pastor Brad, we are so out of bounds. We don't know what we were thinking. We, we want to be completely honest about this. You can let the Laris of leadership know we, we strayed and uh, we know you, we've broken trust, but we want to earn that trust back. Oh, absolutely, you are welcome in our body. We want to walk with you toward healing. You know, you can't have a sustaining, loving embrace if people aren't honest, if there's not grace, if there's not repentance, if there's not value of the other, if there's not value of the relationship. It just doesn't work. 
Now, what if we follow Paul's counsel and we, with grace and love, seek to care for this body, to guard against yeast? 1 Corinthians 5.11, you'll see it on the screens. Paul says... I am saying you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when a friend who claims to be a Christian is promiscuous or crooked, is flip with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it as acceptable behavior. Yes, the church is called to be a community of grace, but out of love for the other, we can't embrace that which destroys embrace. A community of Christ that does not stand up for the integrity of Christ is not standing up for Christ. Now, let's switch this just a little bit. Let's change the scenario. Let's say you come to me, you, you pull me aside, you pull Carolyn, our, uh, our council president aside, you say, I want to talk to you about uh, someone who's way out of bounds. My neighbor, and my, the guy who lives next door to me, he's, he's an atheist, he is stealing uh, my fertilizer every year. Uh, he is lying to me about it, and he is sleeping with the woman across the street. Pastor Brad, what is Faith Covenant Church going to do? Uh, not my ballgame. <laughs> uh, that, that is not something I'm going to step into. It's not something that the church is going to step into. If I meet your neighbor and they begin to tell me about this, I, I will say, you know, buddy, that seems way out of the line here. That's not right. But see, we're not called to judge those outside the church. We're not responsible to hold accountable those outside the church. I know we as Christians sometimes excel at this, <laughs> but Paul says this is not our job. Verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Gang, it is not your job or mine to hold accountable your unchurched neighbor or the person you're yelling at on TV. <laughs> However, because we're a family, we are responsible to hold accountable those inside the church. Wait, why? Because it's an act of love to say, brother, sister, the lying, the stealing, the sexual infidelity, it's going to destroy everything you hold dear. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect our church family. And it is an act of love if they don't repent to, as, as they're walking toward the cliff to grab them and say, don't, buddy, don't continue to walk toward the cliff. And if they continue to say, I'm going to walk over that cliff whether you like it or not, Ultimately, you can't stop them. But it is not an act of embrace, an act of embrace to embrace them in codependent, codependent ways that take you over the cliff too. Again, Paul, verses 12 and 13. I'm not responsible for what outsiders do, but don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? God decides on the outsiders, but we need to decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line and if necessary, clean house. Now, that's some very big thinking. We're almost done, and a lot of Christians would really like us to be done. You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, give them, get them out of here. But the grace of God and the perfect love of God and the Word of God won't let us. 
because God's grace compels us to imagine future embrace. And this is why reading the Bible is so important. Because what happens is often we just take, we take one little puzzle piece out of the narrative, one little snapshot, and we don't know how that snapshot fits in with the rest of the Scripture. 1 Corinthians is one letter. There's another letter that comes from the Apostle Paul to this community embrace. It's called 2 Corinthians. And in the second chapter, Paul addresses this issue that he was addressing in the first letter. Read this. You'll see it on the screen. I'll read it. You follow along. Now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him in it. My counsel is now to pour on the love. Paul's intent and our intent should never be exclusion for the sake of exclusion. He simply knew the church needed to protect itself from the yeast that could affect the whole dough. From what I read in 2 Corinthians, it seems that this man who was sleeping with his stepmother is repentant is seeking reconciliation over something that's way out of bounds. And what's Paul doing? He's saying, bestow grace upon them. Because our call is to embrace. God's grace should always compel us to imagine the possibility for future embrace. That broken relationship that you're living in right now even though it seems in shambles, just like, you know, like a, an egg that you can't put back together again, God can do more than you think or ever imagine. And His desire with you is to build a future of embrace. So don't give up on the other ever. Let me illustrate this with a story and then I'll, I'll be done. So, when I was growing up, I went to, uh, uh, it was called Squaw Peak Covenant Church. It was a, a small 125-person covenant church. Our church is part of the covenant church. Covenant Church in Phoenix, Arizona, okay? I grew up going to that church. Uh, I grew up knowing Rick Stevenson. Rick Stevenson was about three years older than I. Uh, saw Rick every Sunday. Saw his parents every Sunday. My dad sat next to, stood next to Rick's dad in the choir. We all knew each other. We did life together. We went to camp together. So I'm 19 or 20, uh, I am now going to school outside of Phoenix, and I get a call from my mom, and she says, I have some horrible news. Rick Stevenson killed his father, murdered him in the garage. That's a big deal. Um, how do you do this to the person who killed someone you sit next to every Sunday. The authorities took Rick, put him in jail, trial, he ends up in prison. God's grace always compels us to imagine future embrace. What did Rick's mom do when Rick came to a point and said, uh, I have to admit I struggle with mental illness. I have to admit that... Um, uh, I was, I am a drug addict. Um, Mom, will you forgive me? Mrs. Stevenson forgave her son. Not only that, 
But every Sunday, she would go to the prison, and she would sit next to Rick, the young man who murdered her husband, his father, and she would listen to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they would sing together. God's up to far more than we can ever think or imagine. And while there are seasons where we have to say, I I can't go with you in this, friend, brother, sister, I can't embrace that. We are always compelled to keep our arms open because God's grace compels us to imagine future embrace. Let's pray. With your heads bowed, I'd like to again do what we did last week, and that's ask anyone who is struggling in a relationship that just seems broken and in shambles, go ahead and stand. We would love to pray for that relationship because we know God is up to far more than we can ever think or imagine in these relationships. Is there anyone here who, who would like prayer for a relationship? Okay. Awesome. Very good. Thank you for that boldness. Lord, we all are completely dependent upon your grace. And we recognize we don't navigate these things the way that it is perfect. We are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the leadership of the Spirit. Help us, Lord. Give us eyes to see what it looks like to navigate these relationships because, Lord, it is our desire to conform the posture of our lives to a position of embrace. Help us, God. Know what that looks like in the now. Help us see what it looks like in the journey. Because, God, we are confident that you are the great reconciler. And we're thankful to be called your ambassadors of reconciliation. In your name we pray. Amen.